Farzi, I'm just going to say it right off the hopper here that because we have two gentlemen on today's podcast that are from Sudbury, this podcast is sponsored by Old Rock. Make sure to check out Old Rock when you're in Sudbury. And as I said, right off the hopper, that would be the rusty hopper, which is the blend I picked up from the Old Rock in Sudbury. I wondered why you went with hopper instead of hop. Well done. And by the way, that opens up the opportunity to do a couple of things. First of all, OHL Stories on YouTube. Maybe you're following this podcast on YouTube. OHL Stories is a YouTube channel unto itself. It's got all kinds of things on there from around the game, including Chris Pope's coffee reviews. One having been done. In fact, the first one of this year being done at the roaster in the uh, Old Rock Roastery in yes. Sudbury are one of our favorite spots. So there you go. And this also reminds us through opportunities are available. Farwell and Pope at gmail.com is our email address. Hey, you got suggestions for guests, send them our way. Please tell your friends about this podcast. They will love it. We promise, especially this week's. We're really looking forward to it. this one is about it's about life. It's about family. And it's all connected to the game of hockey that we love so much. I think you're going to love it. Farwell and Pope at gmail.com at underscore Chris Pope on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL on Twitter. And of course, if you leave us a review and um, whether a star review or an actual written review, the more reviews we get, the higher we move up on uh, charts and stuff. And then we, basically gives us more credibility. So then when we go and try to get the people that you want on this podcast, they don't laugh at us. Wait a minute. You mean we don't have credibility on our own? You're telling me that now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, sense of self. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey, listen, uh, how, uh, how was your weekend? Oh, you know what? I you froze? kind of, you know, oh, okay. Pardon me. Yeah. I didn't spend a lot of time on a bus. Yeah. So, you know, there was that advantage. There was the disadvantage of, you know, not being in a hockey arena quite as much as I would have liked to, even though it was a three and three for the Kitchener Rangers. Somehow we didn't spend as much time in the rink as we would have liked to, but nonetheless. Well, that is because let's just call it out. Okay. We we did something that we've never done before. And that is. We did something that we didn't want to do. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Well, I do that all the time. Well, that's a good point. So both of us do. We're in relationships. Hey, oh. Deep down, we want to do this. (laughs) That was a pause. That's a dramatic pause. Uh, But no, calling a game from the radio station in Kitchener off a monitor while the Rangers were in Saginaw and in Flint. Um, But we made it through it. This is, uh, we talked about this numerous times as the season kicked off, Farzi, and I didn't care if they wanted me to wear a mask 24-7. I didn't care if they wanted me to tattoo a mask on my face. I didn't care if they gave me no food, no coffee and rinks. I didn't care if we had stat packs. We were back, and I said, I don't care what they asked me to do. I'm not going to complain because it is the first season after a year and a half away. I understand everybody's trying to make things work, and you and I both put on our big boy pants and called a hockey game from a monitor. Uh, 1,200 kilometers away. It is my goal and my sincere hope that come December the 18th, which is the next cross-border game for the Kitchener Rangers, it's in Erie, 
that we will be able to make that trip, but these decisions are largely out of our hands. It's just my sincere hope. I'm going to keep nudging people and needling people and doing whatever it is I need to do here at the radio station to get them to see the light. But anyway, we made it work as best we could. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate it. I was a little off. I wanted to see how far away those arenas were. I said 1200 kilometers. I think it's about 341 miles. Yeah. You were, so what's, so what's like 600 yeah, three, or so. Oh no, sorry. It shows up right now. Flint is 311 kilometers. So yeah. maybe they're, they're back though. Like you, I don't know. Anyway, it was an interesting time. That is for sure. But um, yeah. what do you want to talk about? I wanted to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about intimidation and its role still in the game today. But before we talk about that, I want to try to intimidate you into getting back on the 50-50 train. So I'm here to tell anybody who's listening, which probably means about six or seven people, that when they go to a junior hockey game, they should buy a 50-50 ticket. I don't know where Popper got this ridiculous idea that we would be better served to lay a wager on the game and then collect all of our winnings like i think by the i know i know you're a bit of a degenerate and i respect the degenerate in you like i think we could do 50 50 and in-game wagering i'm just saying that by the end of the season even if we were to win 68 straight games betting we might have a couple of bucks whereas if we get in on the 50 50 you got two things one is you got a chance to win many thousands of dollars or many hundreds if you're in Owen Sound the local minor sports organization or whatever little nonprofit that's collecting the money that week for the 50 50 go buy a 50 50 ticket none of this nonsense with wagering on the games you degenerate listen i'm all for 50 50 okay especially as a fan if i go to let's say an NHL game or a Blue Jay game, or if I even just go watch a uh, Stratford Warriors or Air Centennials game in the GOJHL or whatever it's called now, um, I will buy a 50-50 ticket. No problem. But we're at 68 games a year. You never win. You didn't win when you did it with the legend Don Cameron. You and I haven't won in four and a half years. What's the point? You take all that money that you spend 68 times five, Farzi, what is that? 340. $340 every year that you're just throwing away. Let's call it 300 because of the state's games. Hold on, I'm not done. Let's take that $300, put $5 on a game in the OHL that we are not calling every day we are calling a game. And therefore, you can make if, if at the end of the year, we make $100, let's say, I think we'd make more, but $100, that's 50 bucks in our bank account instead of 300 or what, 170 out of our bank account. It's just simple math, Farsi. See, you're not going to win the 50-50. That's where I was going to step in. Au contraire, you're 300 and change. It's half that because we take turns. So... Even if we bought in every single rink, it's $170. And again, look at the money, not as a loss, although I know we've never won, so you're pissing away the money, but you're essentially donating it to whatever nonprofit or charitable organization is the beneficiary of that 50-50. With the riches we reap, Popper, from working in this game, that was another pause, a deliberate one. 
Yeah. Well, you also <laughs> froze, so it was perfect. You perfect. said something. Yeah. <laughs> the riches that we reap from working in this game. Anyway, throw yeah. the five bucks down every other night. But you Stop. see where I'm coming from. $340, so 170 bucks each. Whereas if you won $100 at the but end you, of the year, you and then we each take 50 that's a $230 swing or $220 swing. Perfect. See? It's, yeah, I, I see, I, I get the math. I, I like the idea, quite frankly, because it's smarter, but we're going to put the money out anyway. And then the day that our ship does finally come in, because it will at some point, we're going to be like, oh my gosh, we've got 4,000 bucks to split. 2,000 for you, 2,000 for me. We're going to have ourselves a hell of a weekend, Popey. That ain't going to happen. I'll tell you that for right now. Buy your um, 50-50 tickets. Farwellwithpope at gmail.com or on Twitter at underscore Chris Pope at Farwell underscore OHL. Tell us what you think of the 50-50. I will tell all of our listeners and viewers why Farwell doesn't want to give up the 50-50. Why I don't I'm, want what? I'm talking why you don't want to give up the 50-50 and the chance at winning that big thousand dollar payday. Okay. Okay. Because I'm looking at a $50 payday. And I think that looks fun. But which one of us shut down OLG ones? Well, yeah, <laughs> of course. But that's because it was worth thousands and thousands of dollars. That's and the there point. It is. <laughs> That's a whole He's other got story. The itch. That's, a, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. You're guy. looking at the big pie. I'm looking at the little tart, being like, "I'll just have a little tart." I yeah, see little tarts. Might as well just call me a whale for more reasons than one. <laughs> Boat. I now. didn't know if I was allowed to bring it up, but well, I thought, you this did. Is just so easy. Now you did. So we're just going to move on from that conversation and save it for the. Uh, what are we going to call that podcast? It's probably the last podcast. Uh, yeah, the last one. Yeah, last one. Anyway. Uh, I intimidation. To, yeah, I wanted to talk. Speaking of intimidation, the OLG gets nasty when you start winning too regularly. Holy cow! It's not my. Uh, was it your the, fault? It, no, the, no, they did not design the Proline lottery well when they first launched it. Oh, not on funny. me, pal. Not on me. I would just like to uh, thank Mr. Fitzgerald in my math class in grade twelve that helped me figure out a little bit of factorial information that provided a pretty big payday to help pay my way through college. Anyway, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Intimidation, Chris. And I think we got to see firsthand at one of our games we broadcast last weekend that intimidation still very much has a role in this game. Mark Woolley, the captain of the Owen Sound attack, kind of ran around and did whatever he wanted in the third period in Kitchener last Friday night. And see, this is, I, was, I wanted to talk about this because I was listening to the post game call in show. And yeah. I heard numerous people talk about how he should be embarrassed. And yet that was disgusting. How can he be in this league? And I, I'm driving home going, did they watch a different game than I did? Well, th- there's a little bit of an argument for like third man in because. No, Holy- there isn't. With another really- player, like not fully in, like it wasn't like a full on fight, but Roman Schmidt was engaged with one player and Wooly came in and made sure he got engaged with him. I, okay, I but Wooly was also engaged. Wool- yes. Wooly was also engaged with a Rangers defenseman who was trying to keep him away from the pile. Wooly <laughs> went around him, said, Get, and grabbed another guy, pulled away, and said, I want to fight you instead. I get you. I don't think, like, and he wasn't running. He made a beautiful open ice hit on Francesco Pinelli in the second, third, in the third period, first, anyway, in the game. I don't think he was taking liberties at all. I've seen, I've seen players do 10 times worse in this year already. Like, I I didn't really think Wooly was that bad. He's a tough customer. Yeah, he plays physical. That's Mark every game. 
and you know what? Nicest kid in the world off the ice. I just, I, I was listening to these Rangers. I, I assume Rangers fans on the post game show talking about how he's running around. He should be embarrassed. That's the game of hockey. There's eight teenagers in a pile. He's the captain of his team. He sees his, his teammates getting punched in the face. What do you want him to do? If he doesn't do that, he has no chance of playing pro next year. Like he, that's part of his game. I didn't think anything he did on the ice was over the top at all. Is he one of the few people in this league that still wants to have that aspect of the fighting and wants people to be intimidated when he's out on the ice? Absolutely. Are you intimidated when Mark Woolley's out on the ice? You better be, or you're going to find out real quick. You know, and the same goes for the Rangers Arbor Jack guy and a a long list of other people in this league. I really didn't find anything Mark Woolley did to be even remotely over the top or even worth a discussion, to be quite frank. Yeah, and and I'm with you a hundred percent on that. I I wondered the same thing, and I think I said on the post game show. If Mark Woolley was wearing a Kitchener Rangers jersey that night, I think you'd all be calling in to say, we need more Mark Woolley. Mark Woolley's going to play like that. Exactly. And why it stood out, Chris, is because there has been conversation around this league specifically about it kind of being like the no hit, the no hitter league. Place with hockey, especially junior hockey, in my opinion, than we were 30, 40 years ago. But I'm glad that there is still room enough for a period or a game, the likes of which we saw between Kitchener and Owen Sound last week. I, I want a little bit of that in my hockey game. Thank you very much. Thousand percent. And that goes for every hockey league in my mind. But I think it's also very important to remember these are 16 to 20 year old teenagers. That is a time in your life where there's a lot of changes internally and physically and emotionally. And we all know that there are people when you put on that helmet and you go out there, they forget that this is a hockey game and that you can't do certain things. And that that other player is an actual human, has parents, has brothers and sisters. And when you have a guy like Mark Woolley and a guy like Arbor Jack guy on your team, that reminds them pretty quick that, hey, you can come out here and take all the liberties you want. But if you go too far, you're going to have to pay the price. And there is 1,000% still a place in this game for that. I lo- I've, we've talked about it numerous times. We've met in the middle. I'm okay with the whole staged fighting getting out of there. But the reactionary emotional fight, like you did something here that I need to, that needs to stay in this game in order to keep people safe as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that front. And again, you want to weigh in Farwell and Pope at gmail.com or send off a tweet at underscore Chris Pope at Farwell underscore OHL. Our guests on the pod this week, Chris, let's just be honest. We didn't really know what we were getting. We we both knew one of the guys a little bit better than the other. They're brothers. But I'm I, I'm so excited for this week's episode because it has just turned into, well, first of all, you and I have been doing it wrong because we touched on the sibling, uh, sibling rivalry that you have with your older brother or your younger brother. No, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. the older one. Yeah. I'm the younger brother. And I like we're head to head because I just wanted to keep doing all the things he did, even though I was three years younger. So never really got along, especially when it came to sports. These guys are just a a testament to the bond 
that brothers can forge and they make their way through this great game together. And anyway, I, I love everything that you're about to hear. And I, I certainly hope that you love it as much as I did. Yeah. And it, siblings are, it's weird. eh? like you start your life hating this person for no reason <laughs> because they're, you know, in a room next to you. Yeah. And then eventually just like one day, like you're sitting there punching each other in the faces and, you know, body slamming each other and stuff for years. And then one day you're like, I, this is my best friend in the, in the world. I love this guy. It's very odd, but that was kind of my brother and I, we grew up hating each other more. So me hating him because he always wanted to be around. He always wanted to do everything I was doing. And he had a bit of an attitude and then one day and we hated, like hated each other. And one day we just clicked and not, like, I talked to him every day on the phone, at least, you know, these two brothers though, you can tell because of their childhood and what they had to endure as we'll get into they were tight from the get-go and you can tell that this brother relationship, there's, there's some deep rooted love and emotional trauma that they went through that you, they still, you know, bond over today. But uh, Daryl and Andy Paquette started in Sudbury uh, growing up in Sudbury, both played for the wolves, but we have some Cornwall stories in there too. The more Cornwall, the better on this podcast. Let's go bring back the Royals. Yeah. And uh, don't worry, John Brophy and Bill LaForge get brought up. This is one heck of uh, a brother lift. Kind of reminds me of the show Ray Donovan a little bit. The brothers get me fired up. Anyway, Daryl and Andy Paquette brought to you by Old Rock Rosary in Sudbury. Before we get into all of the legendary coaches that you both played for and your tours like Cornwall gets me excited when we get a chance to talk about the old Royals franchise. But before any of that, I can only imagine what it was like growing up in the Paquette household. Two brothers, both in the game, one two years older than the other. So, Daryl, I'm just guessing you're running along behind Andy, trying to play every single game he's at. You froze there. <laughs> I missed that last part of the question. I just imagine that you're always, like, running behind Andy, trying to play every game that he's playing. Oh, well, our... I mean, our, our life was just sports, right? So, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing with growing up, with having an older brother that was awesome at every sport, and I'm not just saying that because he's my older brother, he he was. And, uh, you know, myself and my younger brother, I mean, we just idolized him. So anything that Uncle or my, my brother Andy was doing, we wanted to do. So um, whether it was baseball, football, you know, you name it, we were doing it. But hockey was our sport. And uh that was something that was pretty evident from the time we were like two, three years old. I think we had hockey sticks in our hands. And I think I, I was looking at pictures a little while ago of us uh, in, living in the, in the Donovan in Sudbury. And, you know, there's Andy with his Toronto Maple Leaf jersey and we got our helmets on and I got my Montreal shirt on and he's shooting balls at me. Right. So I was kind of naturally put into the goaltending position though. Andy, how much did you hate your younger brother? <laughs> I, you know, you know, you know. I have I, a younger I, brother. So. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a really interesting uh, question because there's supposed to be uh, that sibling rivalry where you actually fight a lot. And I think there was one time he, and this is when I was playing junior when I was having a rough time. He said the wrong thing once. We were playing ball hockey, so I chased him around the ball hockey thing, and I finally grabbed him by the throat. And it was, I, I, it was probably one time in my life I actually wanted to kill someone. Uh, but other than that one time, and I think him going through some of the tough times in hockey, I don't think he would have ever said that statement to me uh, ever again. But that was only the one time that we ever had a rivalry. But to be quite honest with you, 
very fortunate. We, my brother and I, my brothers and I did, we didn't have a lot growing up. So to answer the first question, our, our life was hockey and sports because that's all we had. You know, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, sometimes a dis- disconnect when I'm training hockey players is that uh, I don't see the passion that I had. And that might be totally just an old guy. You know, I caught the fish this big instead of actually only this big, but we grew up with sports and we, you know, without my brother, like, so when he was talking about being a kid, yeah, he started off as goalie by default. I mean, I roll up a bag of chips and throw them against the wall and fire a bag of chips at him. And, and that just evolved into him skating with my, my teams and going to the rinks and become a goalie. I know he was a, he was a player for a little while, but uh, he became a goalie. He was very, very good at it. And, and because we had such a tight knit brotherhood, um, like we, we cared deeply about each other's success. Like that included my younger brother who ended up being a boxer. Uh, we, we cared very, very deeply about each other's success and we wanted to see each other do really well. And uh, so, you know, it, and the beautiful thing about it was it, di- it didn't take, uh, you know, a lot of times when you're growing up, you need a partner to work out with or go for a run uh, and doing stuff like that. And I, all I had to do is t- tell my brother, I said, we're going running today and we'd go running or we'd go shoot some pucks or whatever it was. So, um, I'd love to give you some stories about how we hated each other and hit each other with frying pans and stuff. Uh, but it wasn't the case. It was uh, truly just brothers growing up, loving the game and playing road hockey every night and bringing as many kids with us as we possibly could. So for my brother having success that he had, it was never a surprise. I can honestly tell you, I remember the uh, tennis court very, very well. Um <laughs> It all started. I, I know how it all started because every time we would play ball hockey, um, they'd always want to stick me in net. And being a goaltender, I hated being in net. And it started off with just the simple thing as I wasn't trying, so I was just letting everything in. And I got, yeah. how are you gonna, how are you gonna make the OHL if you can't stop a tennis ball? And <laughs> I came up with a comment. And I'm not gonna say it because I could start a fight again. <laughs> but man, did That's- I run! <laughs> Yeah, I, that's right. I, I know that was one good thing. I was I was a good sprinter in uh, at, at school and that, and I could run. But it was one of those times I'm running and I'm like, I could probably take him and I could probably run for miles. He's not going to catch me. But the problem <laughs> was when he catches me, <laughs> that was going to yeah. be a problem. So I just gave up. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a that was a scary day actually. That was uh, that was fun. But we had we had we did we had fun. I, I'll tell you, we could make a game out of anything. You give us. Uh, you give us a rock, you give us a, a, a frog. It didn't matter. We Well, we did make games with frogs. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> like anything you can think of, we we made games out of. It was uh, it was fun. I mean, we, uh, I look at it like, how, how come I had a good glove hand? I mean, we, we'd wake up six o'clock in the morning. My mom would come in with a vacuum and wake us up and basically kick us out of the house. And we'd have a baseball glove, a tennis racket, tennis ball. And the three of us just, you know, one would be just, pounding the ball at us. We'd be catching, throwing it to the first base, second base, third base. You think it, we just made games up and we carried that on like through our hockey. I mean, we played sock hockey more, more times in our basement where you're just on your hands and knees. It's, we didn't have many sticks. So we used, you know, we used our hands and socks and a lot of, actually we did fight over that too, Andy. That would have been, we did did fight over, but yeah, we, we had a good time growing up. Like, uh, I mean, sports was our outlet and I mean, I don't think if it wasn't for sports, I mean, our life would probably be a lot different than, than they are, than it is today. So. I think you can shoot frogs in Sudbury because they're frozen, right? Is that the idea? Yes. They're only (laughs) frozen. (laughs) Yeah. We, I mean, we, we did, we, we made, uh, we, we can make a game into anything. Right. So. Oh, 100%. Lots of fun. Yeah. So, Daryl. Go ahead, Fergie. I was just going to say, with all this admiration for the older brother, 
let's hear your story about Andy being drafted into the Ontario Hockey League. What does that mean to you? What, you, what were you seeing happen? Oh, it, it was, it was amazing. I, I'll, I'll tell you one of the, you know, for being a busy family and, and traveling around and that, that, that was kind of the coolest thing. We look forward to going to every one of Andy's hockey games, every one of his tournaments, um, because he was uh, like, he was a star. It was, it was awesome watching. We, we had a blast. And so to see the journey going through, I mean, I, I remember it was your major Bantam or Andy, I think it was there, it was the all Ontario's or whatever. And he won the MVP and Brendan Shanahan won another trophy at it, but Andy walk, walked away with the best, the biggest trophy. So it was kind of cool to see, you know, how his development, how it evolved, but it was the dedication that he, that he had. I mean, uh, you didn't see too many 16 year olds um, other than in my neighborhood where a guy would be dressed in the summertime, full uniform, hockey helmet on and the worst roller blades that you would get at the, the regular roller, um, you know, the disco rollers studios we used to have. Roller um, skates, roller skates, roller yeah. skates. That's what Four I wheelers. Roller skates. And that's, and yeah. he would be, you know, you would see him skating around the street like that in the summertime. And, I mean, it just showed his dedication. And I still remember when his, uh, his player agent, uh, Anton Thun, came over to our house and, um, you know, just sitting and listening to the talk and, and seeing where, you know, where his career might go and how it was going to evolve was, it, it was awesome. And it, it, was, uh, it was a driving force for me too, because when you see your brother have that success, you want the same success, right? And, um, you know, and, and again, the encouragement, um, for me, from my older brother was, was amazing too. And, um, I think, you know, when he got drafted, I got drafted. It was, it's, it's one of those things it it was, uh, it was a great experience. And, um, yeah, just, you know, when you, when you see someone put the work into it and, and the fact that he was doing this with Canadian tire, um, dried out hockey sticks. I mean, I, I, Andy would play hockey games and tournaments and he used to be so frustrating because, that's what we could afford. And he'd see him go in a tournament. He'd break stick after stick after stick, like, but he'd still walk away with, you know, three, four points in a game. And, you know, it was kind of incredible to see that because you wonder what would have happened if he had the right tools and the proper skates and the proper sticks. And, you know, it, it, it was amazing, but yeah, it was um, just growing up and watching him and going into the OHL was, was great. And, and then get him getting drafted into the Sabre Wolves was just another, you know, it was an awesome thing for us because, now we can watch him play. He didn't have to move away from home. Andy, your turn when Daryl uh, cracked the OHL. Well, you know, it, it was interesting because I, I knew, you know, parents split up early. And uh, I know Daryl talks about me like obviously an older brother, but there's a, a, a healthy, you know, admiration for his older brother. So I always took that responsibility pretty um, pretty seriously, right? Like I wanted to make sure I was setting examples and, and, uh, and of course happy for anything he did that both my brothers, anything they did very well. So Daryl getting drafted, you know, I went down, well, funny, funny story actually. So we went down to the draft and we knew that, uh, he was going to get drafted fairly early. So we got into, so my dad was scared of driving on the 401. So we drove from Sudbury and we had my dad in this little car, my dad, uh, was a passenger because he didn't like to drive. He had uh, one of his friends driving. He had a nose the size of, you know, he could smell the coffee in Columbia from Sudbury, Ontario. Uh, (laughs) And uh, two other adults and then the three boys in the back. And there might have been another one. So I think there were six or seven people in this car all the way to Toronto. And, you know, we had a hotel and all that stuff. 
but the next morning was a draft. And I, I remember just uh, trying to do, <laughs> just trying to do something to, to calm his nerves. So I said, let's go for a, for a run. So we went for a run in uh, Toronto, you know, sucked in some smog. That was good. And uh, we went to the drop, but it was, it was awesome because, you know, to see your, your someone that wants to be like you get drafted in the, in the third round to a team. It was, it was really special, but it was, he worked his ass off, uh, you know, for years and years and years and you just become proud. And that's the, the greatest thing. And then the, the thing that sucked about it though, was that, uh, you know, when you, you, you know, I don't think people put this stuff into perspective a lot of the times is that, cause I'm doing it with my son right now. He's 15. He's playing in the OHL and my, my brother's 16, 17. I'm, you know, we're tight where we talk to each other every day. And the next thing you know, you're, you know, one of your best friends is gone. So, you know, and back then we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have those things to keep in touch. So, you know, you try to call someone at 10 o'clock at night and call collect, you know, had those secret ways of uh, keeping the phone calls short. And uh, so it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. And, uh, you know, we didn't have the internet to see how he was doing, you know, we'd have to check the paper the next day and stuff like that. So you, you lose a little bit of that closeness. You just want to be a cheerleader for him and see him do well. And, and he did, he played uh, behind a, a great goalie and Rick Tabaracci and, you know, but uh, the, 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 the thing that I, I really had a hard time with and probably to this day, uh, wish I could have been there more for him, you know, just to share experiences and let them know that if you're not playing today or this week or this month, it's not because you're not, you know, you're not a great goaltender. It's because, you know, it's just the way things are. But I probably didn't have a mental uh, makeup to even understand that at that point. But anyways, I was, I was so proud of the kid and uh, he, he was a great goalie. And uh, he had good teammates. And when we talked, you know, he, sometimes he was frustrated. Sometimes he wasn't. Um, but uh, that was, that's the biggest thing about that. Happy as hell for him. And, um, but it missed him as, like, like crazy. He was one of my best friends. You know, Daryl, Andy mentions you going third to Cornwall that year. This is the 88 draft. Owen Nolan, John Slaney, then you. Not a bad group to be going in with. It, yeah, that was, a, that was a good group. Actually, you know, that year, um, yeah, well, John Slaney was just a tremendous hockey player, uh, like a great guy. And then Owen Owen, I mean, we all know his story. I mean, that guy was at 16 years old. Uh, I think he took on the whole league in his first week. Like he, he set the bar very quickly about how good he was. But, you know, that draft was an interesting draft. Uh, cause I look back, like there was five, five goaltenders that went in the, uh, it was Mike Torquia from obviously from Kitchener went, went. Uh, in the second round, then there was uh, Mike Larnaduzzi, Sean Goche, Dan Ryder, and myself. So five of us went. I know that whole year we were flip-flopping back and forth on who was going to go where. And I knew I was going to go to Cornwall. It was it was kind of an interesting thing when you got the phone call. I, I knew exactly um, from that phone call, that's where I was going to go. And it, it was such an exciting time. And um, that draft was, was cool because we uh, – you know, myself, John, uh, were greeted by Dale Howarchuk, uh, Dan Dau was there, and you know they made it really special for us because um, Cornwall didn't have a lot of money for as a as a franchise. I mean, there, you know, when I looked at my brother when he was with the Sudbury Wolves, and I saw him, uh, you know, when when he had some time with uh, Hamilton Steelhawks, and um, he'd come home at Christmas time. That was one of the things I always looked forward to, especially my first year. Is I used to see Andy come home at Christmas and you get the track suits and the leather jackets and they get all these fancy stuff. And I remember my first year uh, Christmas, I come home and I had a Coke bag <laughs> that had nothing to do with the Cornwall Royals. Right. And they gave us, a, they gave us a sweater. Like it was one of the, 
you know, rugby shirts that they couldn't sell. And it was like, here you go, Merry <laughs> Christmas guy. So, you know, it was, uh, it, it was, a, but it was an awesome experience. Like, I mean, there was great people there and, and that team, I mean, playing with Matt Schneider was, was another, like, what a phenomenal defenseman to be able to, you know, to, to be in the net and just watch this guy, you know, handle a puck and his poise with a puck was incredible. And then again, you know, the, the only problem with my first year is I had Rick Tabarachi. I mean, if, uh, if Tabby, I don't think the plan was for Tabby to be back that year. And uh, I remember starting and I was playing, you know, a lot of games at the beginning of the year. And then he came down and Orville Tessier got sick that year. So our assistant coach took over. And I think there was a number of factors that come into game time. Then, as when, you know, you have an assistant coach coming in and he's trying to make his mark now. And we had a good team. And with Tabby in the net, you had a chance to win every night. And with a rookie, you never knew what I was going to get. And like when Andy was talking about some of the stuff that went on in our family and the broken home, and we had a lot of distractions that we had to deal with too. So as a 16 year old or a 17 year old, um, you know, I, my, my head wasn't into it all the time. Like, even though I, I thought I was mentally into it, I, I, I can let in goals pretty easily by that distraction on what might be happening at home. Right. So um, but yeah, that, uh, that team was just uh, a phenomenal team. What a great group of guys. And, uh, you know, I had good friendships with, with Owen. Um, you know, my biggest problem is I lose touch with people. I, and I, part of it's a cell phone, but I'm also, and Andy can attest to this. I was the kid that would, you know, I'd rather be at the house, you know, just being by myself and enjoying my own company and laughing at my own jokes and hanging out with a ton of people. Right. It's, I've always been like that. And, um, you know, I, I look back now, it's great for Facebook because, man, I made a lot of connections uh, with guys that, you know, I lost a lot of touch with. So, but yeah, Cornell was awesome. It was a great place to play. There were more than a few names just dropped there, but I have to ask <laughs> going, oh, Nolan, Rick Tabarachi, come on, uh, Orville Tessier. Growing up in Sudbury, you guys have both talked um, already about the broken home and just stuff going on at home. Daryl, you mentioning that, you know, you were often thinking about stuff at home. Did you guys both use hockey as a kind of a, or look at hockey as a way of a way out? Well, for me, for, for me, it's, it is what it is. It's, uh, it's the only thing I know. Uh, I, I can honestly say that if it wasn't for the game of hockey, I have no idea where I'd be. No idea. Um, it kept me in between the lines. You know, as I trained players, it's the one thing I always say to guys is, and I did this with raising my son. It's, it's, it's very, very important that they, um, they play a sport because it becomes easy to parent. Right. So if you, you know, with my son, the last couple of years, the easiest thing to do is, you know, dad, can I go to the dance on Friday night? Well, I know what happens at dances. I, I mean, dancing is not the worst thing that anybody's ever done, but I, it's, the, it's, it's, it's teaching your kids that the dance is the dance, but you have decisions to make. Like, tomorrow you've got to wake up early to play hockey. Do you want to be an NHL hockey player? Do you want to get drafted? Yes. Okay, do you think it's the best decision to go out and stay up till 12 o'clock at night? Probably not. Who goes to dances? Are they uh, hockey players? No, not typically. No, there's people that need something to do. And when they need something to do, you try different things. So my point to that is hockey keeps you in between the lines. So that was that was my decision growing up is like, because we didn't have anybody to, to say that. I, no one told me that. I had to come to that conclusion to myself. I wanted to play in the NHL. So I knew that playing in the NHL, I, I use this term all the time with the kids that I train. I go, I knew that if you want me to go and smoke weed and do drugs, I know that, well, I thought, <laughs> hockey players don't do that. That's what rock stars do. I'm not a rock star. 
So hockey players don't do that. So when I had the decision to make, it was like, no, I'm not doing it. I, I've got a hockey game tomorrow. I'm a hockey player. And I took a lot of pride in being a hockey player. So it made my life decisions really, really simple. So like, and, and I use that for every little thing. So has hockey, where would I be without hockey? That's a great question. I don't know. Because even with being in between the lines and, 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 and knowing what I had to do to get where I had to, to go, there's, there's still distractions. And I know what, what hurt me in my hockey career is I, I wasn't mentally strong. I was strong enough to, <clears throat> to, to do what I had to do every day. And, uh, but I was missing so many pieces. Now we would have had someone like my brother, Daryl, who that has been through it or, or just a dad that could understand what the process of it would have made things probably a lot better. I think um, like better results and I would have been mentally stronger and stuff like that. But, but as far as just life itself, hockey, saved my life 100 percent. and you know it's the the sad thing today is that there's so many people as parents that they want their kids to play in the the nhl or the ohl they have no idea what that means they don't understand that it's it's so freaking hard and then when a parent puts pressure on you to you know to and it's not your dream let's say like not really your dream it never works out it can't because it's so hard there's there's adversity and, and things that come your way anyways and um, so anyways, yes, hockey was the thing that kept kept me in line. And, and when it came down to d- choosing my route in life after hockey was done, the only thing I really knew um, was, was hockey. So, you know, I chose that. Like, and, and obviously I have an ability to train kids and teach kids and stuff like that and coach kids. So that's, uh, I, I'm doing two of my passions. But without hockey, I have no idea what I'd be. I, I know I wouldn't be an accountant. That would be scary. <laughs> <laughs> not yours anyways <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i'd have to i i, I agree with andy i mean it, it, hockey kind of took us uh like for me uh you know I, and I, I sometimes i look at you know the the difference with me and andy both in the ohl and for me being drafted to cornwall and moving from sudbury was probably the best thing for me um it it, it especially, removed... especially that mansion you lived in cornwall <laughs> yes <laughs> that that great house yes um yeah we you know it it, it took me away from it, it just took me away from like a lot of dysfunction and turmoil and um i just i just found like for me being a high school in, in high school i wasn't a kid i mean i i spent more time you know, going to school and especially when Andy was in, uh, was playing it with the Steelhawks, I was the caretaker, right? I had to look after, I want to make sure my mom was safe. So I would go to school, finish school and, you know, run home and then make sure I meet my mom off when she was getting off the bus and, you know, just checking things to make sure, you know, where's my dad? What's he doing? Is he going to be in the house? What's going to happen? So that was kind of my life for two years and it, you know, before I got drafted and, I sometimes wonder how I got drafted because there was so much stuff going on that, um, you know, I look now like being a police officer. I, the one thing I, I would have wished, you know, back when we were kids is the domestic violence laws would have been the same as they are now, because I think our life could have been differently, like in terms of just the family itself, like maybe my dad would have got the help that he needed, where, you know, my, that there would have been resources for my mom. So she would have help and, I, you know, us kids would have had something, right? But we were, we were on our own, like just trying to survive and then play a sport that we loved. And that was my, you know, that was my safe place, going to the arena and being able to skate and 
you know, for an hour, an hour and a half of the night, you, you escaped all the, you know, the crap that's going on in the house and you were just able to be a kid. And so going to Cornwall for me, that, yeah, that was the best thing. And, 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 you know, that's the hard part. Like my brothers and I were so close. Um, but when I moved away, I kind of moved away and I, I came back for a brief period of time and then that was it. I, I stayed away. So I lost a lot of good years with my brothers afterwards in terms of just being able to hang out and, and keep in touch with them. But uh, for me, if it wasn't for hockey, I don't know what would happen. And, and being able to move to Cornwall, like, would my life be the way it is now? Probably not. I mean, because I think both of us at some point in time, Andy, and I mean, I, I can, I'll speak for you, but we were lost. We were a lot like other than playing a sport. If you were to say, what did you guys want to do? We, we just wanted to survive, right? Just, you know, have a normal life, life. And, you know, hockey gave us that. So, yeah, like, you know, very thankful that we were good. <laughs> that, that, that was a good thing, right? So something I always say is uh, when I when I was done playing hockey and I coached, I coached Daryl actually one year in Sudbury. Um, and I just found like I, I was too young to coach. You know, I had had a couple offers to go play places. And I was like, ah, I was so lost. And I said, I'll just do the coaching thing. I was a little bit too young to coach. And I said, I, I just need to get out of hockey. So I took uh, probably five years. Uh, maybe yeah it seems like longer but probably about five years just trying to find like an actual real good career uh i worked with pitney bows that's a it was a really big company at the time and but but every time i go into an office they say how come you're not playing hockey you need to be playing hockey so i said well i'm gonna move to windsor no one knows me that and uh <laughs> no that's the truth and and when i came down here i was still trying to find what career because I, I knew i had some skill and and some talent but and then one day i i said you know what i i think i'm gonna go get back into hockey and I, honest to God, I, I bought some skates and a stick again, and I put on my first clinic. I actually was doing some in Toronto too. And the, the analogy I use to people, and it's, it, I'm being very literal. If you, if you saw, if you walked outside right now and saw a fish walking around, like literally flopping around going like this, like he'd be saying, where the hell am I? I don't fit here. And, and then when, so when I got back on the ice and the smell and the sound and the feel, and it was like, that's exactly who I am. And that was like, so that's what hockey has done for me. It's, it's, it's when I'm in the rink, I'm in my, like you said, Daryl, in my happy place. I, I know everything that's going on and it's, it's just so natural. So. I, I want to jump back to this mansion in Cornwall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Arzy froze up there, but what, what was the mansion in Cornwall like? Well, I, I, uh, I think it's in Rob Ray's book. Uh, it was okay. referred to. Really? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, 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 I don't quote me on that, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was, it was, uh, uh, it was nicknamed the, the pork chop palace. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so <laughs> the people there were, they were just amazing people. They were nice people. Nice super people, nice. It, they were super nice people, but it was, uh, they had the nickname for that reason. And basically we <laughs> ate, we lived right under the right under the the bridge going over to Messina, New York, and Dom Tar was right there. So you'd wake up every morning with the beautiful smell of the paper mill. Like it was it was it was terrible. But supper time was pork chops, mashed potatoes, and corn every single night. And it it uh, it got to the point like my my home was kind of like the revolving door. So I would have um, guys that were being picked up that might stay, might not be staying. And so I always had a different roommate all the time. And it got to the point <laughs> where we would start 
we, we, we had like basically an account at St. Hubert's chicken because we would just wait till they went to bed and then off we'd go, we'd make a phone call and, you know, you want to take it to the game, whatever you guys need, just get us some chicken. Like we need something to eat. Right. So, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was an interesting home. Uh, they were, like I said, they were nice people, but you know, we had the Coke machine running, uh, you know, 24 hours a day. Like that's, that's what you drank. And you had, uh, pork chops, mashed potatoes and corn. And, um, I, I, you know, if they would have burnt the cor- the pork chops like my dad used to burn them, at least they would have, I could have ate them, but they weren't cooked very well. And uh, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting place. But then the next year I, I lived with a family and, and I mean, I give them a lot of credit. They, uh, they really helped me get myself on track as a person, right. Where, um, you know, they, they were, uh, Mona was a teacher who, who really took an interest in me and, and kind of started pushing out and, and making me re- recognize that there was more to more to me than just being a hockey player. Um, so, you know, the, the experiences like those type of experience, I don't think people realize how important it is for billets and being in a good billet home, um, especially as a young kid and, and you not knowing what kids are going through as well. Right. Um, so I was very fortunate that way to have uh, really good uh, billets. And um, that, that kind of got me ready for life besides just being a hockey player. Yeah, the billet, the billet thing, it's funny because when I played, there's so many guys in Sudbury my first two years. Guys would come in the dressing room, they go, they lock the, they lock the fridge at night. I can't, I, I can't have a glass of milk or another uh, household was having nothing but hot dogs every night. And it's like, like things have changed. And in fact, like this year when my son got drafted, I didn't, I was uh, happy and I could keep everything in perspective. And then uh, his coach, George said, uh, when he came up to sign and stuff, he goes, hey, I can set you up to meet your billets. And I was all good. And then, so we went, we went to the house and he said, it's on the 12th, uh, 12th hole of a golf course. I'm like, wow, he's going to live a better life than he's living at home, which is great. You know, you assume anyways. So we get to the house and it's like, it's not what I pictured. And I, and I, and like Daryl said, like, this is not, wasn't uncommon to have weird or different type of billets at the time. So when I went to this house, it was like, it was nice. Like it's, it's still, he's still there, by the way. It's a nice house, but it was like different, <laughs> different than what I pictured. So I was like, kind of, I was like, okay. The lady came out to meet us and I was like, okay, that was different than I pictured too. So I was actually for the first time getting emotional about my son moving away because I can remember just as Daryl said, what if this house is, and I've had those feelings when you're moved away from home at a young age and you're sitting there in November and it's cold and it's dark early and you haven't played or you're getting three shifts a, a game as a 15, 16, 17 year old and you're laying there and, you, and you're in tears. And you just sit there. I, I just want to go home. And I was feeling that for my son. And I had a bad day for about a week. I was, I, I, honest to God, I'm not I'm a tough guy, I guess. But I was, I, I just burst out in tears for a week until I met the billet dad. And I, it makes it sound like I'm talking bad about the billet mom. I'm, it was not that. But when I, once I met the billet dad, I was like, okay, everything's going to be good. And I haven't had one thing bother me since. You know, even you know, he might not get as, as much ice time as he would like and all that stuff. Those are things you can manage. But it was those that, that those times of maybe being like extremely lonely and not enjoying the place you, you live at and having terrible food and then it was like I was feeling for him like so bad until I met the dad and then it's been a wonderful place so thank God. <laughs> Daryl, can you eat pork chops yet or no? Uh, no, I, I <laughs> no, I stay away from them. I do stay away. <laughs> yeah. Andy, I'm curious. You you get your start as a player in Sudbury. And then when you end up down in Hamilton with the Steelhawks, you're playing for Bill LaForge. 
the man's reputation in this league was legendary. What was that experience like for you? If you got about 17 hours, I'll just get a couple of stories in. <laughs> no, uh, you know, all time in the world. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's, here's what I'm going to say about coach LaForge. Yeah. All the stories are true. hundred percent true. And if you, you know, I was sitting there, I was doing a, something in Sweden and there's another guy that I played with actually Shane Corson was there too. And we were talking and they were telling people some of the Bill, Bill LaForge stories and the, the, you could see in their face, they go, okay, you guys, are, you're lying. And we're not lying. We were telling the truth. All those stories are, are hundred percent true. Uh, the man, but here's what I have to say about him. Um, he, he was good to me. Uh, he was very straightforward, very honest. He was a coach that, and this is something that I, I didn't experience a whole lot in junior hockey is coaches who were honest with you or coaches that actually took the time to say, this is what you need to fix, or this is, this is what you've done well. So that's the one thing I'd say about coach LaForge was that he would uh, he'd tell you straight up and it was up to you to fix it or not. And then he said it, he didn't, he didn't, he put, there was zero velvet on the sledgehammer whatsoever. He said it and, and, and you either did it or you didn't and you got rewarded. And uh, so I respected him for that. Um, but we had practices where we had to fight each other. We had drills where we had to absolutely, we would do one drill where we, if we lost or we didn't get our 50 hits, the 50 hit was that he'd line us up at the neutral zone dots just outside of the blue line. And he would push the net within a foot of the boards. And he would just stare at the wall, blow the whistle and two guys would have to come full tilt and crash. So we had our 50 hits and guys would be walking off the ice in practice with separated shoulders and stuff. And and those are, those are mild ones, by the way. But uh, I, I, (laughs) Yeah, it, it, but I, I, I liked him for the fact that he was straight up and honest. But if you want stories, people won't believe him. But honest to God, and, and uh, probably I, I, I hate saying anything negative about the OHL because I, I like it so much and how far it's come is like so impressive. I actually got to know Dave Branch a little bit, the, the, the guy that every player hates. Everybody hates him. But as I met him as a trainer and as a person outside of being a player, um, I, I have a lot of respect for him because he's made tremendous changes in the, uh, in, in the league for the better. It's like, it's, it's very good. And every time he makes a decision, everybody calls him an idiot and, and, and carves him and, and says how much of a dummy he is, but they turn out to be generally very good um, decisions for the league and the betterment of players. So a person like Bill of fortune, this is a thing that I, um, the thing that bothers me a lot is why I try to educate kids when I train them is, you know, Coaches that are sometimes are just in your way, you know, they're trying to get to the NHL themselves and they do everything for themselves and they're not really there to help you. I think the league's done a good job for the most part of having guys that as much as they're good stories are not good for, <laughs> not good for mental health of other people, for kids and players. It's like, I mean, I wouldn't want my kid around that. Although got a lot of good stories. And I always <laughs> tell people, I tell my wife, she goes, sometimes you're, you don't have a lot of emotion. Like you don't really, you can't hurt you. And I go, hurt me. <laughs> Bill LaForge was my coach. <laughs> you can't hurt me. There's nothing you can say or do that will hurt my feelings or probably physically hurt me. I'm still saying, I, I sit back and I tell people all the time, I'm still trying to figure out some of the names John Brophy called me. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's 20 years ago, right? Like these guys were, were tough coaches. Um, but I, I remember the story that Andy's talking about. I remember watching training camp and uh, they lost an exhibition. They lost one of their exhibition games and Bill had them lined up at the, yep. at the dots. And I remember seeing that cause I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like I might be going into this league. Like this well, is, you know, there's, there's, 
there's two two things that stand out that I guarantee guarantee is not happening today. Two things that are very kind of innocent, I guess. One at my first tra- my first so 2017 or 2007 1987 uh, our training camp t-shirts was Hamilton Steel Hawks and he had a thing PhD Pride Hustle and Desire and then on the back there was a picture of Sergeant Slaughter with his eyes closed like this with his finger pointing said Sergeant Slaughter's coming to get you so that's how you that's how we, how we started that camp before we got to camp before we got to camp the letterhead said on the top in big bold letters that hand to hand combat Hand to hand combat is expected. <laughs> so I don't think is expected. It's expected. So in two thousand, so I, I, you know, you look at that. My kids going there now. I, I'm glad I didn't get the letterhead saying, "Hey, Charlie, hand to hand combat is expected." I don't think that's in the standard player agreement today. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Here's your education package, and hand to hand combat is expected. Yeah, it's expected. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl, you, you, you mentioned Brof. You got to give us something. Oh, no, that's the same thing. Like the stories with that guy was uh, incredible. I, honestly, um, I have guys at work, like I just tell them to punch up John Brophy stories all the time on Google. Because I said, when you do it, uh, you won't believe it until you read it. And then you'll have people actually qualifying and saying, yes, he did do this stuff. But <laughs> he, uh, I had one game. It was, it was actually, it, it was funny. It was, um, I was playing, I was playing pretty much every game and uh, my backup, Mark Bernard at the time, uh, Brof gives him a game and he goes in and he lets in two goals and we're getting into, it's, it's the end of the, th- it's, we're in that third period. He lets in a goal and he's not even playing bad, uh, but I was playing really well and he wasn't really playing bad. And next thing you know, Brof, uh, they score and Brof pulls him. So I go to go on the ice and I skate down and Mark Bernard's not leaving the crease and I'm like looking at him and Brof's already turning red and when he turns you know he he's that white hair and the red face like it stands out and I'm trying to tell Mark I'm like Mark just you know get off the ice man the old man he's he's going nuts right now and he looked behind us and there's Brophy and he's he's already starting to bang his head off the glass and he's losing his mind and Mark's not gonna not going off not going off not going off I'm like Mark you gotta get off because I'm not going back because if I go back, I got to deal with growth. Well, he, I mean, he finally left. And I'll tell you, I've never seen that a guy have the worst week of his life. It was just, he'd be on the ice by himself, you know, just skating. He'd be running the stairs. And I mean, he made his life, it was, it was miserable, but you don't show up the coach. I mean, that was, that was one of the things, but no, he, we've had, uh, I, I think the, <laughs> actually this is the best story is we, we were playing rally and Kurt Fraser used to call the illegal sticks all the time. And so we're playing, we're playing in rally, we're playing back to back and um, we, we win the game. And in that game, Kurt Fraser calls uh, an illegal stick. And of course, Brof with all his profanities. And I mean, he can just say one, one word with the F shot and that could be his whole sentence is just that word. And you'll understand what he's trying to say. Well, that's the amazing part. And so he's yelling at Fraser and he's just, he's totally annoyed that he called for the stick again. So we get back to our home and home and we're playing in at scope arena and their defenseman gets behind the net and he starts wheeling the puck around the net. And I think it was Aaron Downey. I believe it was comes just down the boards. I mean, he hammers this guy, his helmet goes off, stick goes in the air, uh, gloves fly off and he's, 
he's laying on the ice and the whole rink goes completely silent. You know that this, this is a bad hit. Like everybody was worried. The benches, everything. It's completely silent. All of a sudden, all you hear is Brof start yelling out, ref, ref, get over here. Ref's like, just hold on. You know, you got the ambulances coming. Like this is, this is bad. I and mean, you can keep hearing them. Ref, ref. Now we got the F shots going in on here too. So all of a sudden the ref goes, what bro? What do you want? And I just mean dead silence. And all you hear is measure his stick. <laughs> so they go, they measure his <laughs> stick and we get a penalty. <laughs> so, so it just showed like, he, but he was, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, John Brophy, I have more respect for him. And I, I mean, you hear stories and you, you hear players that don't like him. Um, but I absolutely love the man. I, I think the one thing I took from him was, if you hard work will get you in well you anything you do in life if you if you work hard at it you're going to be successful or you should be you're at least you're putting the effort into it and that's all that John Brophy was about he was just a hardworking man and and he expected you to work hard um and you know as long as he did that he you you earned his respect and he was just uh for me he was just a solid guy he he uh he was a he was a maritimer. My wife's a maritimer, so he 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 loved my wife when he met her because it was a Cape Bretoner. And I remember the Christmas party. Uh, we had a, a girl that worked in our our office that was a she was a clog dancer, and I think she was like a professional clog clog dancer. So whatever that means, I, I guess she was good at it. And she was on the dance floor, and there was that Cotton Eye Joe song came on, and all of a sudden this I think her name was Amy, and she's up there and she's clog dancing, and all of a sudden he grabs my wife and he says, "Show them how to do it." And she's like, show him how to do what? And he goes, you're from Cape Breton, Highland Dance now. So here's my <laughs> wife on the spot. And she even said it. She goes, how do I say no to John Brophy? So my poor wife starts coming up and she starts doing a little dance. And oh, it was hilarious. And like, she sits down at the dance table and she's like, is that how he is with you guys? I'm like, that's mild. Like, but he just grabbed her, made her dance. Eh? So, and he pushed the other girl off the floor. He told her, this is how it's done. So, you know, that's, that's a team function. Yeah, dance now. It was, yeah, it was awesome. It was funny. It was a good time. That was my I, wife's real first experience with him. So. I, I know we've been on coaches for a bit, but there's another name I got to ask about, Daryl. You mentioned Orville Tessier in, in Cornwall, but also Mark Crawford, coach in the National Hockey League. What was he like as a junior coach? You know, Mark, I, I, this is the best way to exp- explain Mark. Mark was – he was still a player when he first came into the OHL because he just retired. He was a young guy. But honestly, he, I think, I, I know myself, I want to be Mark Crawford. That's, that's the impression he left. He was such a great coach. Um, and yeah, like, I, I think most guys, if you were to talk to them, like his first year, I think we all, you know, we all want to emulate some NHL player, but at, at some point in time, it's like, we want to be like Mark Crawford. He was just such a good fella. Um, he was demanding. I mean, he didn't hold anything back, but like Andy said, that's the one thing I liked about Mark was you, you knew where he stood. And if you weren't playing well, he would tell you, um, there was no, he didn't hide anything. He didn't, he, he didn't try to sugarcoat things and make you feel like you're doing really well. He would tell you straight out, but, uh, yeah, <clears throat> I have more admiration for Mark Crawford. Um, you know, I've seen him when I was living in Cape Breton and he was coaching the, the baby Leafs. Like I saw him and, you know, he's always, willing to talk to you. Like he's never forgotten where he's coming from, where he came from. Um, and he still liked me uh, after I roll his truck. So I got to say, he's a good guy. <laughs> That's a good story too. 
Yeah, you got to tell that one yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> so we're. Yeah. So well, Andy can Andy will be able to attest to this. We we didn't drive cars. My brother and I either pushed a car or we we ran everywhere we went. So when I went to Cornwall, um, we'll I, have to explain that, eh? By the way, what's that? Most people don't understand that sentence you just said. Well, we'll have to explain it after. Yeah. Um, we we did a. Uh, uh, we we hardly drove, so we never drove a car. So, and we learned on a car that you had to use a screwdriver to start it, but you had to put the hood up. So, um, I get to the rank and Crow. I'm, I'm always early. This is my this is my problem. I'm always I was always early. And Crow says to me, he goes, my buddy Rob Knuzer just got traded from the Sudbury Wolves to us, and he said, uh, here's here's the keys to the car. He goes, uh, go get go get canoe. I'm like, uh, Crow, man, I I don't drive too much, and it was a snowstorm. I'm like, I don't drive much. Ah, you're from Sudbury. Just take the car, go, go get them. So I'm like, all right. So I jump in the car and I'm driving and I get, I get to canoes place. And I'm pretty happy because I've never driven, really driven much. Right. So I get them. We wheel back. And as we're going, we're just getting around where the, the bridge is. So I'm, I'm, I, you can see the arena. So we're there. We're in the home stretch. I'm rounding the bend. And all of a sudden the back starts going on me. So next thing you know, I'm doing donuts in the middle of the road. Um, keep the foot on the gas should have took it off. And I kind of pressed the gas a little hard. Next thing you know, I'm off and I'm heading for the St. Lawrence river and my heart and, uh, canoe is like, take your foot off the gas, take the foot off the gas. Well, next thing you know, we're on the side and we're sliding into the river. So we basically had the back end of his truck in the St. Lawrence river, my foot still on the gas and we're laying, you know, he's laying on my, the passenger side, just looking at the water and, uh, out we go. So, uh, I remember I, I run across the street and I this poor I go to this elderly lady's house and I, I need your phone I need your phone and I call up and I'm like crow I, I just rolled your truck and you know he handled it pretty good um, I didn't play the next game uh, <laughs> my stall was awesome because I Shocker. came in and I, I had the crash helmets I had the crash test dummies I had racing flags I mean they they went all out but but even after that like uh, you know he he didn't hold a grudge and I think it from what his uh, cousin was telling me that might have been his first car that like he outright purchased, like he already owned, <laughs> and <laughs> didn't own a cent to it, and I rolled it. So um, yeah, it was it was fun. It was uh, I, I didn't know what to expect when I got to the rink because he did have a fiery personality. That's the that's the one thing. But yeah, great coach. Andy, you might have to explain the uh, why you guys never drove and the screwdriver starting story here. Yeah, it's just it's, it was my dad growing up, so we. We, uh, my dad wasn't big on, well, he didn't have money and he'd buy the cheapest car. And he always bought these cars from a little old lady somewhere for 500 bucks or 400 bucks. So, so that was one thing. So he, he wouldn't change oil and stuff. So we'd always have to put a screwdriver in or a ice scraper in to get the carburetor open up to let enough um, air out and gas in and all this shit every time. So one time I remember Daryl was in the back seat of the car and I was at the Texaco down the road, which we used to, I'll get to this story in a bit. So I was, I was opening it up. My dad would, uh, you know, pump, pump the gas and stuff like that. And it actually caught on fire with going to his hockey game. So the only thing Daryl cared about was being late for his hockey game. So, but the leading up to that about not driving is like, people think that we're, if I'm lying, I'm dying right now. <laughs> we used to push our car. We'd run out of gas five times a week. Oh, at least, at least yeah. five times a week. And I was just explaining this to my, it just dawned on me the one day because 
it, it was always not always, but a lot of the times it was on this one street, Holland Road. So it would, it would be about three minutes from our house, and our our uh, elementary school was there. And then a girl that I had a crush on was about two doors down from the corner. So I can imagine like the first day she, you know, they're having their dinner and you look outside and they say, Oh, there's Zola. That looks like the Andy and uh, the pockets ran out of gas. Poor guys. So you, you imagine having that dinner one time it happens, but when it started happening month after month, week after week, four days a week, uh, like really, come on, dad, can you put more than three to four bucks of gas in at a time? And that's a true story. We used to run out of gas. Or if we'd go somewhere, we'd stop for gas six times if we if he was smart enough to have. I, I don't understand why he couldn't break it, put a twenty dollar bill in. Don't get it. Yeah. But that's what we did. <laughs> Carol, all this experience with screwdrivers, ice scrapers, and cars must have really worked well when you decided you wanted to be a police officer. Started to yeah, learn how to get <laughs> all right. <laughs> Knew the tricks of the trade. Exactly. You know, like, that's the funny thing. Like, nothing ever worked. So you think one of us would have been well, my younger brother is handy, but I I don't, myself and Andy, you think we would have learned how to how to do anything to fix things, but no, we never did. We just pushed, I and mean, that was our job. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Andy, what was it like when you uh, quit playing and then you ended up coaching your brother? He's uh, talked. He's talked a lot about Crow being one of the best coaches you ever had. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's a that's a that's a shot. That's a shot. That was a that was a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? It was a great coach, and my brother. It, Unfortunately, it didn't last too long, and I didn't have as much rank with the team because I was a young assistant coach at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, I like kind of giving a little, little bit of inside scoop to them, and, um, you know, it was, it was just kind of more of a neat experience. But to be honest with you, my head, I was, I was kind of confused at the time. I was trying to coach and trying to actually do a really good job. Um, I, I, I found, like, and this is what I think inspired me to be a uh, hockey trainers that I, I was just watching what the coaches did on a daily basis. And I'm like, you guys are just, you're not teaching it. You're not teaching kids. You're not teaching them the game. You're not helping them. And that was a, the aspect that I wanted to come from is like, if you see a kid doing well, like I said earlier, you see a kid doing well, explain to them why if you see a kid struggling in, in whatever area it could be uh, off the ice, on the ice, penalty kill, whatever it is. Uh, guys used to just sit on the bench and just bark at them without teaching. And it was like, I was sitting there going, I don't know about this, man. Like, I, I don't know if that's the type of person I want to be, number one. And number two, it's like, it's not, it's, it, so I had a bitter, kind of a bitter taste in my mouth because it was like different than what I thought it could be. And, and you know what? Yeah, maybe I'm a genius because if you look now, you, 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 I'm not a genius. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but if you look at it now, that's what, I'm coach, that's what coaching is, the communicators. They're good hockey people. Like they're, they're better people than they were. And I know that's maybe not the nicest thing to say, but the coaches now are better people than what they were back then. Because I look at, uh, so here's, here's something. I don't know if I should say this, uh, whatever. I'm going to say it though. When uh, my son was getting um, interviewed by all these teams, like he got pretty much every team had very, very in-depth interviews with them. I could read some of these coaches and some of the stuff I didn't like, like I could see there was that not old school is good. Old school is good, but I could see, you know, I could read as a, as a, as a hockey player and as a coach where, where, where their uh, intentions were, what, what it was. So George Burnett, when he came on, we had a video call like this and all I ever heard from George, is just old school, gruff, blah, blah, not, not a good person, whatever. 
we and I told Charlie before the interview, I said, uh, this guy's gonna be old school, Charlie. He's 33 years either coaching the OHL or pro. This guy's gonna be old school, like just answer the questions. You're not gonna make this guy laugh like you did to everybody else. Well, anyways, George got on, and I think the first second question was, How big are your feet? And I'm going, here we go. And he's very, you know, if you guys you guys probably know George a little bit, he's very gruff and to the point. But he asked Charlie a couple questions and he, and, and Charlie did make him laugh. He was talking about his brother. Uh, how he's the hardest worker. And George says, well, you know, is he strong and all this stuff? Like, they wrestle and all that stuff. And Charlie told him, he goes, yeah, my brother's got a head like a dump truck. So George actually <laughs> laughed and became human at that time. So, um, but anyways, it was great because after that interview, George was asking questions, but I could tell that there to be, to be doing this for 30 years, there's gotta be, you gotta be doing something right. Right. And, and uh, his conversations were, he gave Charlie some instructions. Please do this if you wanted to touch base, whatever. Anyways, he drafts them and everything that he says, he means. And he takes the time. Like, I, like, I couldn't believe it, to be honest with you. He takes the time to, you know, my son will be in the, in the room and he'll pull him in. And how, how do you feel you're doing? What do you think you should be working on? I think you're doing well or, you know, work on this. And he's actually giving him coaching. So I asked my son on the, on the, uh, you know, on the bench, how is he? And he goes, he's teaching all the time. And I said, that's fantastic because I can honestly say I never had a coach that actually taught the game ever, not one piece of the game. And and this guy shows you the adaptability. So I think I said I must have been ahead of my time earlier. Um, <laughs> I think that's what coaches need to do. I saw the gap. I did. I saw the gap of, of uh, um, you know, what players needed. So when I started my training business, that's what I was looking at doing is I knew that there was gaps and things that players needed that they weren't getting in their, typically in their regular team. So anyways, coaching Daryl, it was great, but it was short-lived and, you know. What was it like for you, Daryl? Well, you know, I, I complimented a lot of coaches. So I will say Andy was the best coach on the Sudbury Walls. And that's <laughs> – and no, and that's because – in my opinion, that at, at that time, um, I, I don't say a lot about about coaches. I I, I like, I actually have uh, great memories of of most coaches, but I've named every coach that I played for. I will Barry Trotz. He was awesome. Um, I've never named him the, the one in Sudbury. So, my brother was a great coach. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, the Sudbury experience for me was it was awesome to be, be around Andy again. And I think he's right. He he didn't have um, – he had a lot to offer. And for a guy that just finished playing hockey with, uh, you know, the, the guys on the team, like, I mean, he was a year out, really, right, Andy? I yeah, think it was a year. year out. And, you know, to be able to come in that room and, and coach them and have the respect from those guys because they knew Andy as the clown back then. And then all of a sudden now he's a coach and he's got to be serious. And they did listen to him. So I, I, I take that. That was great. So yeah, he was, he was an excellent coach. Uh, just the role. I, I, I don't think he was given a, a big role. And, um, and for me, I, just being there that year or for my short time in Sudbury was, um, wasn't really where I wanted to be. And I'm not sure if that coach really wanted me there either. So, um, and it was, it was one of those, uh, it was probably the saving grace though. Cause I went to a team that, um, we we had a we had our little uh, moment out in, in Kingston, uh, a little little fu battle with between coach and player um, over a trade that was made, and I kind of was uh, 
you know, threatened that your career could be in the stands and that type of stuff. And um, for the first time in my life where I was always that kid that would sit back. And like I said, I always take all that stuff that was going on in my family. And, you know, now I'm back in Sudbury and I'm back into this stuff. And then I had a coach say that. And it was the first time I actually said, you know what? I've listened to everything a coach says. If the coach told me to stick my, you know, run through the boards, I would have done it. But when that was said, it was kind of, you know, this is the time I'm going to stand up for myself and you're a coach, but I am going to speak up because I don't really care what happens to my career at this point. Because at that time, it was just kind of like, I'm somewhere I don't want to be and put me wherever you want. And if you want to put me in the stands, well, that's not going to happen. And I'm going to control that. And um, the best part is we had it. I was supposed to go to the bus. Um, I ended up playing, um, got first star. And then the next day I was basically told I had to apologize. And the only thing I apologized was for playing really good. And um, I was very, uh, I, I was, it was one of those times where I was actually very confident in myself and they were asking me questions on, you know, do you regret what you did? And I'm like, no, I don't, because do you regret what you did? And who's apologizing? Because I'm not going to apologize. And then the question came out, well, you know, we might have to trade you. And, you know, is there any teams you don't want to go to? And that's the only time I let my guard down. I said, Owen Sound, and I got traded Owen Sound. So it <laughs> worked, right? And, and the only reason I didn't want to go to Owen Sound was just basically because I was, you know, I, the OHL pushes school a lot more than they did when we were going to school. And I was in a, you know, they didn't have a semester situ, uh, school year. I would have lost more school. And I, I, you know, I came to the realization if I don't get drafted this year or nothing pans out, what am I going to do? Cause I was, you know, I was a guy that sat in the, in the cafeteria and I watched people play cards. I didn't even learn how to play cards. Like, you know, that's how, that's how dumb I like some of the decisions you were making. Right. So, um, but yeah, so I, you know, it turned out for the best. I ended up moving into Amherst, Nova Scotia. I played for, uh, for Bill Riley, who, you know, we talked about coaches who you trust and who, who are honest and, I got a chance to play for, for Bill. And, you know, one of the things that Bill told me is he said, I'm going to get you to university and you're going to play pro. And he said, I guarantee you that. And, you know, at first I was like, yeah, whatever. But then the more I listened to this guy and the way he coached and um, again, everything he said was true. Like he, he never lied to me and um, it all worked out. I mean, and what he said happened. So I, I made the right decision and it was probably the best thing for me. So the trade to Sabri actually turned out to be a benefit. Andy, for you, when you, left um or when you started uh coaching at uh, power tech did you get asked to go over and uh help coach with igor lariano yeah yeah it's uh i was so what happened was when i started my business it was very well the first clinic i ever did because I, I i didn't know how to do marketing and stuff the first one the first kid i had uh sign up was a six-year-old kid with snot all over his face and I said, oh, this is uh, probably not going to be the best one. But he signed up for like six lessons. I'm like, wow, this is not the way I want to go. But what happened was uh, Ryan Wilson, I don't know if you remember his name, played in Colorado a bit. Uh, he was in. Uh, he was getting drafted. And Kyle Wellwood were around. And some of those guys that were coming up saw me on the ice. And they came up to me and said, hey, can we spend time with you on the ice? So my business like did a real quick um, – quick pivot Return, right and yeah. for, for the for the good and uh so so i was able to uh start training very good hockey players and it was what i actually wanted to do there's just like passion coming out of you know never an alarm clock let's just get up and go 
Um, so yeah, so after, after doing this for about, uh, I'm trying to think maybe it was nine years, 10 years, I always had a goal of, uh, um, I knew I was pretty talented in what I was doing and I had a different approach than a lot of people. So I, um, I was skating out in Detroit and, uh, an agent called me and said that, uh, Igor has, uh, has a kid that wants to skate with you and a couple and a couple Russian kids. And he's going to be at your practice or at your session tonight in Detroit. And uh, can you take a, take a minute and talk to him? I'm like, yeah, for sure. So well, probably 20 minutes in, half an hour in the session, Igor opens the door on the side of the rink and he goes, Andy, come here in his heavy Russian accent. He goes, you're coming to Russia with me. So I said, oh, I, like, well, dude, I got like this thing here, but like, can I talk in a bit? He goes, yeah, yeah, but he waited and waited and waited. So I stepped <laughs> off the ice. He goes, can you go get your passport? I go, what are you talking about? Like, so we're getting undressed and um, – and, and he said, like, I, I want you to come and train because at the at the time he was starting an agency and he had a lot of, well, you, you know that. He's, you probably know that he's got a lot of players in the NHL that that he was representing. So he wanted me to go over there and train a whole bunch of uh, uh, of his Russian players. So there's 14-year-olds right up to pros. And uh, so I did that, yeah. So he called me over and I did that. And I did that for 10 days. And then the next summer he brought, he started bringing them over to uh, to Detroit. So I would spend time work with him. So we built a really nice relationship. And one of the, one of the great things, so if, if there's any kids reading this or parents who could tell us or your kids, as dumb as I was as a kid, <laughs> I the one thing that, the other thing besides hockey that saved my life is reading. I just got into reading, not like Huckleberry freaking Finn or anything like that, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but like I'd pick up a magazine and read, read, you know, about Wayne Gretzky or, and I'd watch TV and I'd try to emulate what Guy Lafleur did with his, you know, half bald head coming down the right wing, cracking a slap shot. And I'd practice that and I'd try to find the essence of where that came from. And I'd go to the outdoor rink and practice it. Right. So I, but when I talking about reading, I started getting books like I'd see, Oh, the Sutter brothers wrote a book. So I'm going to read that because in those, inside those books, there's all kinds of details of what they did. We didn't have the internet. So I immersed myself in reading and learning what other people did and said, okay, that's a good thing. Oh, he ate that. He ran. The Gila Fleur used to run 10 miles a day. Oh, I'm going to start reading. He also had a cigarette when he got to the rink. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I would pick up, I'd pick up the, the, the story. So one of the books, two of the books I read, one was uh, Vladislav Tretiak's book. And there's so many nuggets in there that were so good. I also read uh, Tarasov's book. He was a godfather of hockey in, in Russia. So life came full circle that day because I, he was sitting beside me. And obviously, there's not that much to talk about. He can barely speak English. But I, I asked him a couple questions about it. I said, did Tretiak actually have to carry a tennis ball all the time? And he looked at me and goes, well, how did you know that? And so I read this book. And I said, is it true that they did somersaults on their pads in the snow? He goes, what? how do you know that? And, and he got really interested in me. So it, it probably helped the relationship a little bit more. So, um, yeah, so I did go to Russia. And, and one of the things I tell my kids a lot of time that I train is that there's going to be pressure, right? Like pressure comes at you in a lot of ways. So for me, I had a goal of, of going to Europe several times and training the best of the best players. So when Igor asked me that, that was my, that was my, that's where the rubber met the road for me. It's like, okay, here's a chance, uh, the guy to, to, to make a mark. You're either going to succeed or you're going to fail. So as I was flying over there, I had a late flight. Everything was going wrong on the way there. 
And I, I, as I was flying into Moscow, I was sitting there, I go, look at the traffic here. What is going on? Like, this is crazy. Am I going to be good enough? What are the nets like? What are the ice like? What's it like? This is crazy. So I went there and I had an interpreter the whole time, which is a, like, it was the biggest problem of the whole thing is being able to get my communication out without, you know, I'm not in Russia. So uh, anyways, <laughs> the thing that saved my life is that I, I was prepared, you know, I was prepared. I had a, I was a seasoned veteran at training people. I could pick people, pick things out. I had a personality and, and I had, uh, and I built a really good relationship with Igor and um, you know, he trusts me with players and it was a great thing. I passed the test, got hired several times again and again. And, um, and, and that's why I tell kids read, read because that little bit of reading, I got an opportunity and I was able to kick the door open and it, and it felt real good. So a dumb kid from Sudbury went to Moscow and trained some of the best players in the world. Pretty awesome. Well, really that's awesome. going to be the headline of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, this is totally random, but you're both Sudbury guys. You both played for the Wolves. And I want to preface this by saying I really do love it there. That The building's got character. I know it's not looking as good as it could, but it's got character. But please tell me from your perspective, especially as players with that Wolves team, what the hell is with that stuffed wolf? I swear it's the same one that was there when you played that's still there today. Yeah, that's it's the greatest question. Everybody looks and goes, what the hell is that about? When you grow up as a kid, everyone thinks it's – like local people think it's the greatest thing. But actually when you step back and you watch that thing go to center ice, you just sit there and go, you can do better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, you can do better. Yeah. Hopper wants lasers coming lasers. up your size. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like seriously, you can do a lot better. What I think spotlights a, just go under down on the goal score. I think it looks sweet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like or maybe a real wolf. Like do yeah. something. It's yeah. <laughs> a just, real wolf. I'm just a little <laughs> disappointed. I, I I know they're they're looking at getting a new arena and that, but just growing up in Sudbury and you know, as kids, I mean, that's where we grew up. Like that that was our Montreal forum, right? That's where we yeah. all wanted to end up. And uh so for me, knowing that you know a nice new arena is a is a good thing. Um I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of against it. I don't want it. I, I, I want them to keep the old Sudbury arena there. I, I don't want change. Um, I just think that it, it you know, it was, it was, it was good for us. And I, and I know it, they have to grow and, but yeah. uh, you know, I'm disappointed because I, I just think it's such a, it's, it's such a great old arena and I, I hate losing the old arenas. I, I, yeah. I just, and there's so much character and um, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree a thousand percent because uh, obviously doing a lot of the training with like, worked with the spits quite a bit, Sarnia quite a bit and, and going to these new rinks, it's cool as a kid. But when I'm, when I watch a game, like Chris Draper all the time, Hey Andy, I got some tickets. You want to come to, I'll get you in to watch a game. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to go because it's like you're at a game and you've got someone selling pizza. You got a cheerleader here. You've got the jumbotron. <laughs> you've got all these distractions. I'm like, I just want to watch a game just want to watch the game. And I find that in the OHL, a lot of the times there's uh, like, we were in Sarnia the other day uh, or no, not Sarnia in uh, Owen sound on Saturday. I went and watched my son, crazy dad, absolutely nuts driving to Owen sound on a Saturday night, but uh, from hey, Windsor. <laughs> yeah. From Windsor. Yeah. Uh, so, Short but, trip. but yeah. it was like all, all the kids say, Oh, it's a, it's just a, it's a barn. It's a tin can. It's loud. And I, so I walked in there and I'm like, yeah, this is a hockey rink though. This yeah. is actually a hockey rink. And, yeah. you know, there's some bad seats where, you know, if you watch the game long enough, you're going to get scoliosis because the seats <laughs> are, are bad. But, but we, we went to, we went to the end, the, the end zone behind, behind uh, uh, Owen Sound's net. And it was pretty much full. 
and there's passionate, passionate hockey fans there. They're, they're booing kids. And it's like, there's that old school hockey field like the Sudbury arena used to have, or probably still has. And it's like, okay, now I'm at a hockey game and I loved it. I loved every second of it. I do love Guelph. I love Kitchener. You guys have a phenomenal rink. It feels a lot different as a dad or as a fan than it did as a player. But what, like, for, that's what you want as a hockey rink. Like, it's yeah. so cool. You know, your, your fans in Kitchener, they're, they're, whatever those things are, they're smacking them and they're yelling. And it's, it's fantastic. And, and uh, Guelph is really, a, it's a great rink. It's a newer rink and they still have a little bit of, a, of that feel. I like that. But some of these rinks you go to and it's like, it it's, doesn't even seem like a hockey game anymore. And I, that's, I love that old Sudbury arena. Like, Daryl, you're 100% right. Great place. Yeah. Arzy, you want to ask my question for me or do you want me to do it? No, go ahead. The Windsor Arena. <laughs> <laughs> Not the new well, one, though. No, the, no, the old no. one. You guys got to have some stories from going into that barn. Well, my, my <laughs> son asked me where my favorite place to play, and I always said it was Windsor. So my first road trip, we were playing, and they had the big, always big, tough. The glass on the uh, above the boards were about that big. People hanging over. There's a guy that used to play a trumpet at the end of the rink, and the neutral zone was about this big. Um, but it was my honestly my favorite place to play. It was my favorite place to play ever. The, it was nuts, and that's talking the same thing. It's that's what hockey was about. Like that's an experience. It's and even for the players, like man, it's you know. Here's a here's a here's a neat thing for you is I got recruited to a couple of schools and one of the first interviews I did was at Lake State Superior. I was 15, I think, and Frankie Anzalone at the time illegally brought me in because we were playing in a tournament in the Sioux and he showed me the place and it was big and the band and all this stuff and I'm like this unbelievable. So he talks to me after he goes, "Would you like to be a Laker?" And I went, "No, I, I, I want to play for the Sudbury Wolves." Honest to God. He looked at me like I had three eyeballs and I, and he couldn't cause he didn't get it. And, and, and so I was coaching in the States and a lot, we used to do a lot of the tours, we went to Miami, went to Notre Dame, we went to Michigan, Michigan state, Boston college and all these things. And it's the same thing as you go into these places and they're overdone and you go, they, you know, they show you the locker room and it's like, if I was a bazillionaire, I wouldn't have a place this nice. I, I, I don't want this. I, the, the, the dressing room and the weight rooms, it's like, do you, and I'm not joking at Notre Dame is I think there was like, 40 treadmills, 40 bikes, 40 rowers, 30 different uh, Olympic lifting machines. It's like, what do you need it for? It's like too much. Whereas as you go into like, you know, just using something familiar, Windsor, I go to, because I used to train the guys. It's a nice w- weight room and it's all you need. And it feels like a hockey place. And I think it's, it's it, my point here is that I think a lot of times now is the kids get pampered, the fans get pampered. Everything's like, it's got to be nice and beautiful. And you know, we're playing, we're playing hockey. It's ugly. It's ugly, and there's a there's a, a rawness to it that we're missing, and that's that's the one thing I miss. So the Windsor Arena, I'd if they said we're going back to that place, I'd be fired up for the kids. It's the best, absolute best. Daryl, we had uh, Mike Parson on the podcast. You would have played against, and then yeah. a, a former uh, uh, Portland Pirate as well. Pirate, but he yeah. was he was talking about getting batteries thrown at him and stuff dumped on him in goal during the game. Did you ever have anything like that? I uh, just pop, pop and popcorn and stuff dropped on you. Like I remember pop just sitting in your crease. I, I think it's the, I think it's the their end. It would have been the home end is where the, it, yeah. the, the fans kind of hung over your crease. So I remember just like being in my crouch waiting for the play coming down and you can just feel something and you look <laughs> up and there's someone dropping water or pop on yeah. you. And, but you know, like Andy said though, that 
I played my best games when I had people yelling and screaming at me. Like I enjoyed that. And so when you go in an arena like that, that was like, that was a blast, like to have, to have people calling your names. And, and I know you're, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we grew up a little differently as kids. Like we, we like that, that I don't know if the, if the players are like that as much now, but I love that stuff. And one of the best places, like, um, I, like I, we only got to play there once in the year was, uh, was, Niagara Falls when Brian Fogarty was still there yeah. for a small arena. And I, and I got to bring this up because you brought up Windsor and that small rink, but we played Niagara Falls Thunder and I'd never seen a guy as big as Brian Fogarty was that could with such little space skate through teams. I mean, like easily and make it look like he had so much room on that ice and he, he would just fly. And that, that was, that was probably one of my, one of my moments, like I, I remember just watching him and I, I can still see him like just grabbing that puck and go. And and you played with him, eh, Andy, and they, like that guy was so to, to be in Niagara Falls and it's such a small arena to see him carry that puck and like the things he could do with it and just skate was, yeah. was incredible. So, yeah, like go back to those the smaller ranks like that's those were the best. And I mean, like um, Windsor. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, but Cornwall had a row of fans too that yelled and swore swore at me quite a bit as well. So, you know, everywhere I went, I left my mark. <laughs> well, you know, the, not. <laughs> the other the thing the other thing that you miss about the old barns is is uh, every because you guys know some of the you have different classes that show up to the arena, right? And at the at the new rinks, like if you watch the Toronto Maple Leafs game, it's corporate and the corporate crowds. It's not a fun crowd to play against. But if you go back to the old Sudbury Arena, the old Oshawa rink. Kitchener was awesome. Like, I, I love Kitchener, too. I really – not saying that because I'm on your podcast. Well, what a phenomenal place. What a phenomenal organization. But one of the things that you miss, because you get so many get so many stories out of this, too, is the people that used to sit right behind the bench. Yeah. Nine, nine, out of ten, nine out of ten of them were homeless and toothless. And they had their jerseys and they had beads on. And, you know, they'd be – just couldn't wait to talk to you. And they'd be yelling at you all game. And it's like, that was the best. That was the best. And you don't get that anymore. Now you got the, you know, the 75 foot glass behind you and it's almost silent in there. And it's all you hear is that, you know, the tick, tick, tick of the puck. And it's, it's, it's almost boring now. I mean, it's not boring, but it's, it's a different feel. Like, um, yeah, the old ranks are the best, the best. I they feel bad to... for, go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. You feel bad for. I just feel bad. Like for my, for the kids coming mm-hmm. up right now, they miss that. Like I, I'm telling you, they miss it. It was, it was old school. You could smell the popcorn, the hot dogs, Guys smoking, smoking darts. I mean, I'm glad they got out of that, but all that stuff was part of the game, right? Yeah, old export A score clocks. You'd was, love Flint. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Flint's, Flint's a great place, right? I love Flint. Yeah, that's a great spot. That's, that's a barn. Yeah. They had to put that high glass behind the bench, Andy, in, in Kitchener because Pete DeBoer was the coach. <laughs> 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 I had to be high, so we can't bring our kids anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you, you use the F word once? Uh, once or twice, maybe. Yeah, yeah perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Andy, I didn't you, yeah. didn't Andy, Andy, you played against him, didn't you? I did Pete play DeBoer? against him in Windsor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he played in Windsor. Yeah, he good, good player. Good player. Like what, They had such a good team that a guy like him was a bucket of vanilla. Uh, they, you know, they had guys like uh, Glenn Featherhead. Uh, Featherstone, I mean, uh, we used to call him Featherhead. Um, <laughs> Kurzawski's and Graves and yeah, Kelly Kane deep. and David Haas, guys. You know, I think eighteen of the guys scored fifty goals one year. So Pete DeBoer was just like a stay-at-home, not a stay-at-home, but like a, just a good, solid player. 
Um, but you know, he wasn't extremely tough. So he, it, it, good. It was kind of nice to be on the ice with him because he wasn't going to you know, turn you inside out and he wasn't going to beat you up, but he was doing all the little things that, that were good. Right. So yeah. great player though. We've kept you guys a while here, but Popey got his question about the Windsor arena. I have to come back and Daryl, you just touched on it a moment ago, but I'm on a, I'm on a mission and it's only half joking to get Cornwall back in this league. I miss the market. I really do. Let's uh, take a trip down memory lane. What was it like playing there? What's the market like? You know, it, it, you know what? It was, it was an awesome place. Like the fa- the fans were good. We didn't, they just didn't sell out like that. I, I think it's a, it's a small town, right? But um, I know they're trying to, there's a, there's a group out there. I sit on that group because they're trying to get the team back in Cornwall and I'd love to see it there. It, it was like, I, it was a great experience for me. I, I loved it there. The, I, like I said, the fans were, the fans are great. The atmosphere was good. The only problem with their arena is it's set up high. So you have like that cement wall that kind of comes around the arena. So you, you kind of miss the fans and the glass part. And, and that, that's, that's the only thing I, I, I didn't like about the arena, but uh, the Civic Center is beautiful and they had passionate fans. And I, I think if they were ever to get a team back, they would do well. I mean, I don't understand. I, like I, I'm looking at even the American Hockey League having a team in, in Belleville doesn't make sense to me. Um, but, you know, can they afford going back in the OHL? I don't know. I mean, I think uh, when when Cornwall moved to Newmarket, um, we all know the story of the owner of the Cornwall Royals at that time. And I think that was a shock to everybody in Cornwall. I, I think if he wouldn't have moved them to new market, they'd still have a franchise there now. Um, so yeah, I would love, to, I'd love to see it there. I mean, there, it's, uh, it, it's your blue collar arenas. Like it's that, that's what you want. It's they're, they're true hockey fans. And I mean, when you look at their, their uh, bring back the Royals Facebook page, I mean, they're bringing up stuff like they're showing the Memorial cup wins. They talk about oral testing. They taught like, they're entrenched in it. So they want it back badly. And I, I, I'd love to see it. I mean, I'd be, um, I, that's a special place for me. I mean, I, you know, when we talk about your, your teams you played for and that, but like Cornwall would be my, you know, that's, that's my, that's my spot, right. That's the the place that made me realize that I was a good, a good hockey player. So I love Cornwall. So I, I hope to get the team back, but I don't know which team would be going. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. that's the only problem, right? For sure, so, for sure. They had really nice jerseys, didn't Sudbury? Didn't were you guys up there when they had like those off purple ones? No, Are they purple. No, the Sudbury no. ones. When... Yeah, I thought Sudbury at one once brought like a third jersey, and they were like purple. I know the Knights had a real bad purple oh, one, that, but I thought the, I, the, I thought Sudbury did. Yeah, I thought I Sudbury went purple once. I think the Knights had that green and yeah, purple. they had that green and purple. Yeah, that was yeah. terrible. Yeah, I Sudbury, thought Sudbury I, had a. I wish the Sudbury Wolves would go back to the green and yellow. Green, green. yeah, they were awesome. They were the best uniforms, and no Cornwall. Cornwall's uniforms were really—they—they they were nice colors. Yeah, were nice. I like them. yeah. And and to, when you find the history of the symbol, it was made by like a uh, an eight-year-old or something that drew, <laughs> and that's how it came in. And it looked and it looked good though. It was a it was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Farzi mentioned that we kept you guys long enough. I just have one real quick one, and it might lead to some disagreement, but we'll see. We have. You two in a room, we'll throw in your brother, Ray Jr., and we'll throw in Owen Paquette. Owen. Who's, who's walking out of that fight? I go first. <laughs> I go first. He's sick, man. This is, you know, it's uh, – he's, he's going to kick our ass. He's, he, he grew up like we all you – know, here's the funny thing is uh, my brother, Ray J, was a boxer, and Daryl and I 
I know I spent some time at the same boxing club as Ray J, and I think Daryl did a little bit as well. Maybe not as much. I I can't really remember. I was doing the karate to stay flexible. <laughs> but uh, Gord, his 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 uh, his coach is uh, someone that we knew personally. He used to come to our house all the time when I was Daryl was seventeen, eighteen. I was eighteen or nineteen, twenty, something like that, working with my brother. So it was a really nice relationship, but. Owen has taken this, like, here's the thing. Like, I know it was kind of a joking question. He would kick our ass. I know that. But the beautiful thing about this is this is what's, uh, this is why hockey is so awesome too. Daryl learned how to coach. He just understands the principles of life. He understands like hard work. And it's the same principles as hockey that goes into boxing. Maybe I'm wrong. The details that people miss, Owen's taken care of. But the thing with this kid is probably would have been a good athlete in anything he did, but he did, but he chose, he chose boxing dedicated um but people don't understand is that he, i know that he gets up and he gets his runs and he gets to the he lives eats sleeps boxing and he's incredible at it. he's going to have incredible success and there's you know I, I texted him the other day just saying i know we don't get to see each other very often but i'm guaranteed i'm going to be there when you win your medal at the olympics because he's, he's going to do it he's awesome he's um it's it's you know you, it's one thing to say it when a kid it's just talented. Things happen, but this kid goes through the grind. And I don't see him every day, but I just know the work ethic that he has. And he's an incredible kid. And probably, more importantly, he's a good kid. He uh, he he's earned like the boxing Canada. He I know Daryl is probably not going to say stuff like this, but he's got he stands out in the crowd. Doesn't just box. People are out there, you know, complimenting him on his boxing, but also complimenting him on how. How much he participates in the off or off ice outside of the ring and in the classroom and all the things to learn, which makes him a great student. He's gonna have nothing but success. And you know what? When boxing, boxing, and you got to deal with Everlast, unreal kid's amazing. And uh, I say that because I don't say that very often about an athlete because I've I've been around them. And when someone amazes me, I, I got to tip my hat to him. And kids, he is actually amazing. It's awesome. So he wins. He's beating me. He's my son, but yeah, I, you know, he's, uh, I, I think the one thing that, you know, both my son and, and Andy's son, Charlie have uh, the advantage is just having two dads that have been through things. Right. You know, we both been through adversity and that. And um, what I'm very fortunate of is I don't have to coach him, even though I do coach him to some extent. Um, I don't have to, you know, wake him up in the morning, say, you got to go for your run. He does it on his own. So it's that self-motivation that, um, you know, I, I always, I always look in, I look around the rooms of all the guys I played hockey with and you look at the best players and you always sit there and say, what is it with them that makes them the best? There's something in their character. There's something innate that they have. And you might not physically see it because a lot of them are so calm and cool before games and um, just how they are, but their preparation is always, that much better than everybody else, but there's something about them that they do. And they just, they have this excellence. And, and, and I, I can see it in him that he has that. He just has this desire that you, you can't, you can't just, you got to have it within that you, I, I can't explain it. And then the fact that we have him with who I think is the best coach in, in Canada, it is this Gord Apolloni whose resume is, uh, is so long. Um, and you watch how, he coaches and I look at, I compare him to the co some of the coaches that I've had. And, you know, like I look at Barry Trotz and um, that guy's a genius. And when you, when you get to a play for someone like that and see how 
they can analyze a game and just make changes so quickly. That's how his coach is. And it's, um, and they've, they've formed a really good relationship. And the unfortunate part is my kid is going to do um, what Andy and I and Charlie are doing now. And he made that decision that he's, he needs to move to Sudbury because his goal is to get to the Olympics. And I remember his, you know, the sit down with him, which was kind of funny is dad, I need to talk to you, but you moved away. Andy moved away. Charlie moved away. And I got to move away if I'm going to make the Olympics. And, you know, yeah, he, re he recognizes it to, to be the best. You got to go after it. And I'm not going to stand in his way and I'm going to let him go. So um, he's go, he's going soon. And uh, it's going to be a, hard day for me because that's you know it's your best you're your best friend right my kids are my best friends and then but it's for them and uh he'll do it and and then again if we all have to be in the ring it's it'll end up being him and my younger brother and then uh i'll take my son <laughs> we'll take we'll, we'll take the youth yeah the youth. for sure yeah i know he's he's pretty good so you know, this is the second time we've had brothers on this podcast, but I don't think we've ever had one that's more focused on family, truly. Uh, this has been a great chat, guys, honestly. Th thanks so much for all the stories. And I think we dropped more names in this podcast than any other one so far. So lots to uh, to feast on. But this has been this has just been a riot. Thanks a million. Well, this well, is fun I, I, ask we don't get a chance to do this too often. So it's nice to be able to, you know, spend some time with your brother, too, and talk about things and. Um, I'm sure we could carry this on for, for hours. Um, but yeah. this is great. I appreciate it, Mike. Uh, it's been nice to do this. Yeah, we might have to do round two so we can get the frog story. And we still haven't heard about <laughs> Owen Nolan, Tessier. We can oh, probably get a few more yeah. brophy stories. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we would be definitely willing to do that. But I wanted to ask you guys a question before uh, we, we take off here. Like, first of all, thank you for having us. Great. I'll tell all my... Uh, all my followers that do the podcast, we got thousands of them. So I'll, I'll be give great. you guys a shout out. But uh, number two, more importantly, is uh, next time Guelphs and Kitchener, Uncle Andy's going to be there. Uh, would you would you guys typically at the games? Oh, yeah. We'll be okay, there. So I'll, okay, so I'll uh, hunt you down. We'll have a coffee or uh, say hi. Or you please come to that pop booth. Pop off Absolutely. to the booth. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. All right, you'll recognize me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't – and you, you'll be easy to find us, the two bald guys at the very top do did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.